leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays today. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And we have an awesome CISO with us today. Super excited to have her. But before we introduce her and before we introduce my wonderful co-host, I want to make sure that everyone subscribes to our channel. So uh, we're trying to build our YouTube YouTube subs. So please, please, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Check us out on YouTube um, when we go live and make sure you do that, please. So as I shared, I'm Renee Small. I'm gonna introduce my co-host, Chris Fullon. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Hey everyone, uh, security consultant, career coach, and I would also add, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast uh, medium as well. Uh, we'll be moving providers soon, so uh, we'll notify you as that when that happens. But in the meantime, just subscribe wherever you can find us. Thank you, sir. Adding in where I always leave out and forget. <laughs> so our awesome guest today, we have one CISO in the house. Um, Monica Verma. Monica, please introduce yourself. Hey, folks. Hey, everyone. Thank you for having me on the podcast show today. This is Monica. I work at a CISO, and I work at a CISO before in the finance sector. Today, I work at a CISO in the health sector, critical infrastructure everywhere. <laughs> That's what's cooking. Um, I have my own podcast show, which is We Talk Cyber, my blog, Monica Talk Cyber. Well, you can follow me and subscribe to Monica Talk Cyber everywhere. It's website, it's YouTube, it's Instagram. LinkedIn, just find me there. You'll find me there. Yes. Lovely. Perfect. And I'm very, very, very happy to be on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, we're, we're excited to have you on. Um, we love bringing on CISOs from different sectors uh, so that they could talk about the different challenges in their sectors. Because um, it's one thing to be a CISO for a product company or a consulting company. Um, once you get into healthcare and other critical um, areas, then it becomes a, a little different. So I think it brings a good depth to our audience. I agree. I agree. So, um, Chris, you want to kick off with the, 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 you know, first topic that we're going to talk about today. So well, a quick the world's been talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the colonial pipeline, is that the one that you're referring to? Um, Are you sure? Is that the one? <laughs> <laughs> true. True indeed. I mean, there's many, there's, there's many, many out there. Um, yeah. It, 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 it was just released that they actually paid $5 million. Uh, oh, they did? Quick, yeah. They, oh, they, they just within, came out. Okay. Within, hours, within hours of 
uh, the ransomware event, they paid $5 million to the malicious actors uh, to try to free their system. But that goes to show you, even when you pay the bad guys, um, you still have to restore your service. So if you don't have a good DR plan to begin with, um, mm. paying the ransom doesn't help much anyway. Um, mm. fr from a healthcare care perspective, um, how would you say that um, other hospitals are dealing with similar challenges? You don't have to speak for your own company. You could talk for the industry as a large. I mean, in general, if you think about critical infrastructure from different sectors, right, the challenge really is the convergence of IT and OT. It's massive, right? It has been massive the last years. And now as the attack surface has grown tremendously, it's gotten more complex. You've gotten much more complex supply chains. You've gotten much more complex um, value chains. And, and I mean, you just also maybe read about not, not very recent, but last Year when the vaccination started, there was attack on the um, uh, on the docu documents, the IP for the vaccinations, right? Breaking mm -hmm. onto the supply chain there. So I mean, we're seeing more and more ransomware attacks. We're seeing more and more uh, breaches when it comes to critical infrastructure. And what's interesting is that it has moved from just availability to also confidentiality perspective. It's both in the terms of yeah, when you have a ransomware attack and then they encrypt stuff. That's where it started initially. It was just mostly focused on availability. But now you see, I mean, it's a lot of this IP and everything, and they are just threatening to release that data because you obviously steal the data before you encrypt them, if you're smart. If you're a smart <laughs> criminal, you will do that. And um, when that's happening, then obviously now the matter is not just about operations. It's also about IP and critical information. So how do you deal with that? And some people are looking as, as if they can I mean, they can pay the ransom. I would never recommend that. For one, you are basically, I mean, they're both sides to it, right? From a pure business perspective, it makes sense. Okay, if I can give this much money to get something that's even more valuable, obviously it should be, if the math is right, mm -hmm. uh, then it makes sense. But then from a criminal perspective, you're obviously um, promoting that, that's one. But two, there is no guarantee that you will get that back. Also in the terms of whether your operations, like you said, you have to have the DR plan, you have to get the operations back, but what about the data that has leaked as well? You can't really unleak it, right? How, how does that even work? So that's, that's those are the challenges that I'm seeing and, and we need to be more smarter in that. We have to move really from preventive, well, we have to do preventive controls, definitely, but a lot of focus has to be on when a potential attack, potential, let's say that, when a potential attack is happening or attack infiltration starts, how quick we are and how small is the window when you can actually detect them in real time. I mean, that's that's where we are still lacking. The other aspect is obviously OT has a whole dimension of, well, the impact is much, much, much huger, right? I mean, if you look at hospitals, we had the cyber ransomware attack at the Dusseldorf Hospital in Germany. Um, Allegedly, they said before, because of that, a patient died because the patient could not be operated. They had to take them to a nearest hospital, which was, I think, 35, 35 kilometers. Not sure how much that is in miles, but you can calculate that. <laughs> 35 kilometers away, which is quite a distance. And then, uh, but later they found out, okay, the condition of the patient was really ill. So even if the operator, she would have probably died, fine. But that could have been a very real cyber attack that caused a human death. It's yeah. not, it's not any more unthinkable, right? So... The consequences are high. The attack surface is more complex and gives a lot of room to the cyber criminals. 
And two other things that I can confirm as we're going forward, and I've been saying that for many, many, many years now, it's not just that we have to worry about nation state. Cyber criminals are really doing things, even if it's from money. I mean, they're doing things that are causing us all these byproduct effects of it. And financial is still the number one motive. So that just goes to say that. Do you think that uh, enough executives are aware of the confidentiality um, exposure now to ransomware? Like, I, Not I think yet. Every, everyone's so focused on, well, they'll tie up the infrastructure, but they don't have our information. And they, I, I don't think enough companies even understand what their crown jewels are to be, even be able to identify that it's been exfiltrated and alert on that before they even get the ransomware. So it makes the, the incident response even that much worse because now you're like, well, was there a confidentiality breach? Because they don't have any visibility on that. And then you don't know, right? also trying to get the system back up in place. I would absolutely. That's what I think one of the biggest challenges are true is too, like really understanding where your crown jewels are. I agree with you, Chris. And I mean, even looking at the whole cyber kill attack and the cyber kill chain for ransomware attack, mm -hmm. exfiltration happens before encryption, right? Otherwise, mm -hmm. the data is not useful to the cyber criminals. That happens. Whether it ends up on the dark net or not, there is zero guarantee. Even if it's there, you don't know. So mm -hmm. I think people need to start thinking about confidentiality when it comes to ransomware attacks, in addition yeah. to availability. What do you think, um, you know, executives or the masses will really start to take this seriously? Like, as we were talking about last week and, you know, every week it's something else, it's something else. But now it's starting to impact, you know, regular humans, right? Not just the cybersecurity world. You know, my friends are all calling me like, wait a minute, we have this, you know, security. Now we don't have, we because of this security situation, this cybersecurity attack, now we don't have gas. Now I can't get gas to put in my car. So I, I you know, I was, we, we had this conversation last week around like the critical mass, like when will it get to a point where we can't turn the blind eye anymore. It can't just be another news cycle and executives and, you know, government leaders like the true people who can make things happen actually do something to, you know, curb some of this or at least get enough talent seriously baked yeah. up to be able to battle these types of situations. I feel there are two things here. One, we are seeing and one, we're not talking about at all. So the one that we're seeing are fines, Right especially in Europe, when you have these data breaches, especially for personal data breaches, we are not there with critical infrastructure yet, but that's a good step forward. We need more regulations around fines for things that upset either privacy or cybersecurity for national security or critical infrastructure and these things, right? When you don't have the right cybersecurity elements or controls in place, when because this attack that happened, I mean, there was a patch. This was, from what I understand, it was basically unpatched system for which a patch was available. Complete negligence from the company, right? They should have done that. So in such cases, I believe, number one, it has to be fines, but then fines have to be somehow in accordance or proportional to the revenue. Uh, I mean, with the GDPR, for example, I'm taking example for privacy, but obviously it applies similar to security. We don't have that, but I would assume something similar would help as well. But if you look at the, the GDPR fines that have been given to Google and other American companies in, in, in Europe, at least, they are very, very, very low compared. To, there's nothing compared to their revenue, right? The maximum is 4%. That's max, max ever that can be. So I feel monetary and regulatory oversight with fines 
definitely which is proportional has to be one. But then this is again, not the only thing. Another thing I feel which we are not talking about at all is making them accountable. Because the thing is, cyber criminals are doing their job, okay? When you're talking about this whole dark side uh, sim- uh, cr- criminal gang that, that is behind this with the ransom mm-hmm. of the service, they are partly, I mean, how more easy can it be to understand it's a business? You have a ransomware as a service. You have partners that are basically buying that service and exploiting, right? They are in full-on business. Even if when I was in the finance sector, if you look at the Lazarus Group, that is a full-on finance business criminal activity probably have their own hr probably have their own finance cfo whatever right they are doing their job so now we have to understand hey we have to do our job in the sense that you can't really if you're trying to make cyber criminals accountable in whatever way how do we make ourselves accountable who makes us accountable so when we're talking about like the data of if if you're talking about data breaches for example and if my personal data breach gets leaked, it's the responsibility also somehow of the citizens to to make sure that the government is held accountable for that or the company is held accountable for that. When it's a matter of critical operation, like critical infrastructure, like this in case of gases, right? There has to be some penalty. There has to be some accountability that somebody has to take here in terms of why this happened. And you cannot put it on cyber criminals anymore. I mean they're basically doing what their job is in that sense. So I feel it's more in terms of monetary fines and accountability, which we're lacking, accountability we're lacking today entirely, right? Who, whenever we do that, we're talking a lot about attribution to cyber criminals. More than that, I think it should be who is held accountable and somebody yeah. should. And, and now when you think about critical infrastructure, like the complexity added with having that OT equipment that that's really designed to have a long lifespan, to be available 24 seven, but when it comes to patching and vulnerability, they weren't designed like mm-hmm. IT systems are to be able to update it and patched. Um, how, how to phrase the question, how seriously do you think these companies are taking, sec- to be taking securing those systems while still trying to gain efficiencies for remote management and all the the increased efficiencies that you can get through mass communication and everything like that versus, yeah, let's just ma- monitor it and manage it and l- worry less about securing it because it'll never happen. It's too complex for attackers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's varied. Let me say that. It's very varied. I mean, I work at Siemens in Germany um, right after the SCADA happened. When SCADA mm-hmm. happened, obviously, you know, the whole company went like, oh, okay, we cannot have this going on. And every time an organization gets breached, obviously, then they have this heightened sense of security. Okay, now we need to do something about it. But I mean, a lot of organizations, there is no doubt, a lot of organizations still think they will never get attacked. This is not me. And that mentality is still there. So with OT, it's definitely more complex in the sense that Yes, how do you do remote management while patching and all these things happen? You cannot even do much like you can't do active uh, scans like you would do in an IT environment that would ups- disrupt the operations. You can't do that either. But the thing is, let me ask these organizations this thing. Critical infrastructure and all these industrial sectors now are moving more and more into digitalization and cloud. Wait, when you're doing that already, 
should you not think about cybersecurity first? Because now what you're doing is you already don't have something. And this this is what we went through. This is what IT went through. We went through a phase of where we had, well, fewer intranet and then we had internet, but then we had just websites. It was not that complex, but we never got our basic hygiene in place. And then it just got more and more complex, complex, complex. We got more digitalization and everything. This is what's happening with OT. I think they need to take a page from our lesson and learn that when you go on with the digitalization and with the cloud and connectivity and everything, it's fantastic. It's needed as a system. I support it, but think about the security because it will just make your job even more harder. We are today in IT with a technical debt. That's what's going to happen to OT as well. So no, awareness, I believe, is not there to the extent there should be. And one of the keys when I say about how to manage this is obviously when we talk about, okay, detection has to happen as a said before, right? Preventive controls, absolutely, we need that. But we need to be better with detective controls as well and how fast we can detect. But I cannot emphasize this more. Awareness, awareness, awareness. You really need to understand in the context of OT, what are the assets? What are the risks? Because it's consequential. What are the consequences? It's substantial. Mm -hmm. And this is still missing in in various organizations. I mean, I'm not saying everyone, but we can't say like everybody's there, but they take it seriously or even understand for that matter. I think it's not that they don't want to. I think it's just that awareness is lacking. Isn't there a, a, an inherent technical debt to OT? I mean, it is from, from the, IT from, at from, least. From, from, yes. from the day that it's released on the, the factory floor, it's probably three to four years old um, and unpatched from that day. So like there, that's an inherent risk when it comes to any technology in OT. It is. Plus from IT. I mean, the convergence has already happened, right? So yes, absolutely right. So we have to deal with that. We cannot deny because then what we're doing is that we're just making the attack surface more well, larger and complex, but easier for the criminals with much more higher consequences and risks. Let, let's pivot to the other side now. So we have mm-hmm. the amazing super recruiter here. What are some of the things that we could do to uh, improve Uh, like our hiring pipeline to tackle some of these complex problems uh, from your point of view? Okay, that's a very good question because I think like we have to invest in people and we have to, number one, please stop asking for 10 years of experience for someone, some some entry-level job. I mean, come on, can we just stop doing that? You will, this is what my father used to tell me and something that I learned from him. You will not get 10 years of experience in three years. You will get that in exactly 10 years. And if you got an experience in three years, which was somebody else's 10 years, then your 10 years are still different, right? So where you could be in 10 years, you will never be in three years because that's where you're meant to be in 10 years. Can we respect that? That's number one. Number two, there's a lot of people that want to break into cybersecurity and break into leadership. Why are we not utilizing that talent? Why are we not investing in people? For me, it's like this, attitude, skills, experience. Because like you definitely need experience, sure, but attitude makes the most difference. I believe cybersecurity is like any other skill. It's not something that you're born with. You can learn. And obviously talent, the the, the amazing people that we have waiting, breaking, I'm not saying that they should not. It's not like magically it will happen. They obviously have to invest their time in learning. Some of the times, obviously, you learn. The reason I say you have to learn is because to get the first experience, you need to have basic understanding. It always helps, right? If you understand the terminologies and you're trying to go in for your first job, I definitely recommend doing, like I 
studied about cyber when I was studying, I, there were no courses, right? I had cryptography. I studied cryptography, sure. Uh, but there was nothing, I there was no courses around what was happening in the industry. So I actually learned myself web application security. I somehow convinced my cryptography professor from the university and Jeremiah Grossman to be my external supervisor on a master thesis on web application security that nobody did in my entire university because this was not a thing that time, right? But this was just my way of engagement. So I believe people have to engage. And if you want, you will make it do it. It is not that difficult, but hiring is definitely making it difficult more than it should be. So we need people, invest in them, mentor them, break them, help them break into cybersecurity, give them tools so they can actually get experience and learn because these are the people that will become the leaders of tomorrow. You're not, leaders are not just born in one day. You can't just have people popping into like 15 years right at the company. That just doesn't work that way. What, what are some of the, oh, go ahead. Monica, um, you know, you and I and Naomi and um, most of the CISOs that come on here, most <laughs> agree <laughs> with that. Uh-huh. However, mm-hmm. with all of these open positions, you know, it seems uh-huh. as though we are the minority, right? Because Very much possible. It, yeah. the, uh-huh. there seems to be much more people who are interested in breaking in versus uh-huh. getting the opportunity to do so. And so I'm curious as to what you think the challenge is or, you know, from a leadership perspective, from a executive perspective, you know, from your peers that don't want to do it. What do you think are some of the barriers and some of the challenges? Because, you know, we tend to bring in and talk to people who are like minded. But I feel like that's still that's still a small a small group, because if it wasn't so many people would be in. Totally. I totally agree with that. And and there are some challenges, both in terms of the myths that we have or the stigmas, let's say that the stereotypes of stigmas that we have in the industry. One of them, I believe, is the biggest one is that you have to be a technical expert to work in cybersecurity. You don't. You don't need to be a technical expert. Please, let me just break that. Because the time when we started with cybersecurity 20 years ago, we had network. At some point, we got web application, but that was like, and then maybe a bit of hacking, that was it. Today, it's a myriad of options within cybersecurity. There is so much you can do. So yes, you do, and don't get me wrong, you do need to understand technology, how it works, because ultimately we're talking about risks within cyber, right? And we're just connected to people and processes. So you need to understand that, but you don't need to be a technology expert. That's number one. And I believe we need to talk to people our peers to help them understand that. We we need to break this stereotype within cybersecurity first. That, that's our job. The second challenge that I see and will be the most critical one is networking. Um, when you are not in the right network or the right groups, you often don't know about the opportunities that exist, right? You know a very few subset of opportunities that exist on a specifically publicized, on a public page or something, but a lot of hiring happens actually with the network people who just know from a word to another word. And how, how do you do that? How do you get to know that? So we have to break that barrier for more people to come in to even actually be able to network and understand. And this is something I recommend both from the people that are hiring, right? To be open to have people do network and not just be a closed group. So you just like talk to five people and one of those five people will get the job. 
And from the people who want to break into cybersecurity, you need to network. You, it is difficult, but it will be really in the long term, really beneficial. And that's the sad part of it. A lot of the jobs actually do happen just through networking. Yeah. And I, and I think that happens, you know, often outside of security, too, because I yeah. You know, Prior to recruiting and security, I've recruited in a bunch of different spaces. It's just very, very interesting to me. Even, um, you know, when Naomi, who invited you on, thank you, Naomi. We didn't even talk about the fact that Naomi and Chris aren't in, um, James aren't here. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we miss you. you. <laughs> we miss you. Unfortunately, we're both not here today um, and both had, you know, conflicts. But we, you know, Naomi talks about um, internship opportunities and, you know, so outside of everything, Monica, I 100% agree with everything you're saying in terms of like, you know, the networking opportunities and th the things that happen. The Where I see my perspective is that I've seen that in other areas as well. Like I used to hire tax accountants and actuaries and, you mm. know, standard IT people, Java developers, all that kind of stuff. Um and other areas where there's all you know there's networking going and everything is not about posting the positions and sometimes people get hired behind the scenes mm -hmm. within and you talk about the hidden job market so that aspect of this is not new that's no. why it's so interesting to me and even i can remember i don't know 15 years ago probably where one of one of, there was a very very challenging environment around tax accounting and I know mm. this in particular because I was recruiting in this space I was in financial services um, and you couldn't really find tax accountants and the leaders understood this the leaders were like you know tax accounting is a space where you can't really find a lot of talent and they knew, you know, and they, they talked amongst themselves like they would get in the, the IIA or whatever the different organization is for accountants. And they would they all got to more or less started chatting with each other like, you know, executives do and leaders do like how you see mm -hmm. some of those recruiters talk to each other. And they said, OK, we're going to grow our own and we're going to bring people in and we're going to go to the schools and get accounting majors and interns and grow our talent from within. And it was just understood. It was this very they don't expect people to have this, like, like you said, 10 years of tax experience for mm -hmm. this level job. They know it's difficult to find. So it just seems that there's this very, um, you know, what Naomi talks about, elitist, some of the stuff that you said, it's just so yeah, interesting. Elitism, of course. It's there's a lot of that in cybersecurity. That's that's the biggest problem. And also the thing is like when you're having this internships, right? I would recommend people to do that. I mean, that's fantastic for you to get good resources for obviously not paying, like you don't have to pay too much money for that. You get at a much lower cost. You get fantastic talent. They obviously learn a lot, but very, very important, pay them the right amount. Don't underpay them. I mean, it's the work they're doing for you nonetheless. And it's still much more benefit prof profitable to you, right? Then why do people not pay? Because if I think we would have much more uh, paid high, uh, interns and paid um, internships and all these programs, a lot of people would be coming and getting this experience. And we would have more and more people actually coming into cybersecurity. Yeah. And you're right. There's a lot of elitism in our cybersecurity. It is. Yeah. I mean, an example of that was technology, right? A lot of people think like, yeah, if you're not a technological expert, then you don't belong in our, in our um, community. That is elitism, nothing else. Right. So, Monica, we are going to actually wrap it up pretty at this point, at the 30 minute mark, because um, Chris has to run, <laughs> you know, and we know we were trying to keep it keep it pretty short by Chris. 
Chris has to want to run. And um, we were going to keep a short, short conversation going today. So we're at the 26 minute mark. So, you know, we have a couple more minutes. If anyone is on and watching and has questions, usually we have a pretty lively discussion. Um, Rolanda chimed in here and said, thank you. Uh, for having me. So that's great. And another person was here that said morning and good afternoon, everyone. Um, so yeah, Monica, I, I, you know, really appreciate your perspective um, in the space because yeah, the, the part of it that's really fascinating to me, and I guess um, bizarre, actually, probably mm -hmm. is the right word, is that it makes it seem like this hasn't been done every in every other industry. It hasn't been done. They act like, you know, like like you have to be born into, you know, you come out of the womb as a cybersecurity professional. No, you don't. A job. No, no skill. Absolutely. Yeah. That's not what I said. It's a skill. You can yeah. learn it. There's yeah. nothing, nothing magical about it. Let's say it that way. Right. Right. It's fantastic exactly. once you're in it. Yeah. But it's not, un it's not undoable. It's not like completely magical that, yeah, you cannot do it. It's not like requires whims and prayers and stuff. What right. you need is really just learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I hundred percent agree. It's the peer. It's the the leaders <laughs> seem to have a challenge with this. Um, the people who want in want in. The recruiters are trying. You know, we're happily trying to get them in. Um, and all of us, you know, this little world of ours, we all preach from the same, you know, in the same space. So it's always interesting to hear if you had heard from, of different perspectives and, you know, why people think that this stuff is just, oh, so difficult and they can't build people like the, like every other profession. So hmm. um, I'm not, I'm not sure why it's, a, I mean, I mean, cybersecurity comes from a very, it started or grew from technology experts, right? I mean, initially Correct. when you had the intranet and the DARPA and the internet started, but then majority people, nine, I would say 99% of people, and no, don't quote me on the statistics, but I would guess that one would be people who knew technology and were technology experts, right? That's how right. it started. Right. But as I said, a shift has happened and we are not in peace with that shift. That's what's happening. Yeah. That has happened is 20 years ago, it was really focused on just the technology aspect of information security. It has moved a lot to the non-technology aspect of information security, and we are just not making our peace with that. That's the biggest thing that has happened and that has changed, which we are not recognizing. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I think that's exactly where it is. There's this, there's this underlying you know, group of folks that came up from 20 years ago that all came through IT, they all believe to be a true security professional, that has to be the path. You all need to have development, you all need to have computer science, you all need to have had a technical background um, and have not evolved yet into what it truly is today. So and let me let me give you a very direct experience. I mean, this is this is from my own personal and professional experience. I come from a hacking background. I come from a development background. So I come from a technology background, right? I have been in leadership positions now for seven plus years. I literally had to unlearn or let's say not utilize that technology part of the brain that was so deep into it. I had to unwind myself from it to really be able to be an effective CISO. So actually, it's not necessary that you have to know that. I mean, it could actually even be not so good, especially if you want to break into leadership and you want to be an effective CISO. You have to unuse 
that very deep technical understanding or part of it all. You have to turn it off a bit. You have to go down a notch a bit. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of like, that basically tells you how important it is to understand the other aspects outside the technology and how information security is not about technology and not just about technology. Right, not just about technology. Awesome. So um, someone else- If anybody said, has questions, please. <laughs> yes, they said, thanks for your time. I'm trying to pull up sometimes on LinkedIn lives. And I don't know if this happens to you, Monica, on your LinkedIn live, but um, you get the, the, uh, the comments. They don't always come through here. They, they show up on LinkedIn live or they show up on LinkedIn, but they might necessarily show up here, but so far. So Nick, this is Nick Perkow. So he says, thanks for your time today. Always great to hear from you all and Monica too. So lovely. Awesome. So Monica, I have to say, I really, really, really appreciate you being here um, and being a part of our CISO Thursdays today. This was fascinating, great information, awesome topics. You know, to have someone with your background, having all the various skills that you bring to the table, come and join us. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Well, everyone else, like I said, we were going to keep it short today and we are going to have another uh, CISO Thursdays next week, obviously. And then um, look out for anything else we have that's showing up in the next um, with, within the next week. So everyone enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your week and take care. Take Bye. care, everyone. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.